Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, I invite you to join me in Ephesians if you have your copy of God's Word. I hope the pollen and allergies have been nicer to you than they have to me this past week. My allergies must have known Jerry was going to be out of town for the next couple of weeks, so I get to preach as Kermit the Frog this morning. This week we are jumping back into our Living Letters series as we look to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, this letter, it may have been more of a general letter to many churches rather than just to the church in Ephesus. We're not really sure. But either way, whether Paul wrote this directly to the Ephesians or it was a general letter that went to many churches, in it, Paul shows us all that God has done to call us into his family and how we should live because of that calling. So what we are going to see this morning in the book of Ephesians is that each of us should live in such a way that the echo of your life leads people to Jesus. We are called to live in such a way that the echo of your life leads people to Jesus. To live in such a way that with your life you teach others to follow Christ. With your life you make disciples of Jesus. One of the greatest guy movies of all time, in my opinion, is the movie Gladiator. Now, if you've never seen Gladiator, it's definitely a war movie. If you don't like action and violence, it's not for you. It's probably not for young kids, but it's an awesome guy movie, one of my favorite movies. And in this movie, it's it's the story of Maximus, a Roman general who is betrayed and he becomes a slave and eventually a gladiator. You see, Maximus is betrayed because the emperor of Rome wants him to be the next ruler of Rome. And the emperor's son is not a fan of this plan. So when his son discovers his dad's plan, he murders his father and then attempts to murder Maximus. And this attempt on Maximus' life is what ends up leading him to become a slave and then ultimately to become a gladiator. And one of my favorite movie quotes of all time happens in the opening scene of this movie. The movie opens up and Maximus is preparing to lead his men into battle. He's pumping up the cavalry to lead them into battle, giving them this awesome motivational speech. And in this speech, he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. You see, I love this quote because it's true. What you do in life today echoes into eternity. The way you respond to Jesus today echoes into eternity. And it not only affects your eternity, but it affects the eternity of those around you and those that you love and those that you choose to invest in with your life. So as we look at this letter this morning, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to think this question to yourself, what are the echoes of my life? What are the echoes of my life? What are the echoes of your life? 
What is the echo of your life at home with your family, with your children, with your grandchildren? What's the echo of your life at work? Students, what's the echo of your life at school? What's the echo of your life in God's church? In the first part of this letter, Paul shows us the impact of the gospel. Because of Jesus, we are now able to be adopted into the family of God and we receive the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, Paul shows us how this is possible. He shows us how God has made this possible. And in the first three verses of chapter 2, Paul describes our lives before Christ. Before putting your faith in Jesus, Paul describes every single person. Not just the people that we don't like or the people that we do like, but Paul describes all people in the first three verses. He tells us the condition of all of us spiritually before we put our faith in Christ in these first three verses of chapter two. If you're here today and you've already put your faith in Jesus, you're already following him, you've surrendered to him. In these first three verses, Paul describes what your life spiritually used to be like. But if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you've never put your faith in Jesus, then in these first three verses of chapter two, Paul is describing your life spiritually today. And I warn you, it's not a pretty picture. But hope is coming in verse four. You see, before putting your faith in Jesus, everyone is dead, disobedient, and deserving of wrath. Before putting your faith in Jesus, every single one of us, every person who has ever lived throughout all history is dead, disobedient, and deserving of God's wrath. All of us, before we knew Christ, were spiritually dead in our sin. And a spiritually dead person is very similar to a physically dead person. A physically dead person cannot give themselves life once again. A physically dead person cannot make themselves breathe again. They cannot make themselves stand up and walk around and come back to life. It's impossible for someone who is physically dead on their own to do that. In the same way, Each and every one of us before Christ is spiritually dead. And when you are spiritually dead and you are separated from God, you cannot give yourself life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how much money you give away. If you are spiritually dead, you are dead. And you cannot give yourself life. But Paul says we were not just spiritually dead, we were also disobedient. In verses 2 and 3, he shows us that before following Christ, we followed the world, we followed Satan, and we followed the lust of our flesh. And then he caps it all off by saying that we are deserving of God's wrath. Without Christ, we deserve the judgment of God. Look with me at these first three verses. It reads, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is not a pretty picture that Paul paints before Christ. But I told you there is hope. And the hope comes in verse 4. You see, God has made a way for you to be made alive. Jesus has taken God's wrath for you. Tony Merida says that, but God is the biography of every Christian. But God in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 is the biography of every Christian. We were dead in our sins and could not give ourselves life. But God could. We could not save ourselves, but God made a way for us to be saved. And that way is Jesus Christ is through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And this salvation that God offers to you is out of his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. You cannot earn this salvation that God offers to you. You cannot buy this salvation that God offers to you, but God in his grace, but God in his mercy, but God in his kindness, but God in his love sent his son to die in our place, to pay the price for our sins so that we can receive this salvation. So that we can be raised to life in Christ and we can be raised to life with Christ. You see, the beauty of this gift is it is freely given, but the faith to believe in it also comes from God. Truly, friends, we do nothing except receive this life from our Father. Look with me starting in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even though we were dead, even though you may be here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus and right now you spiritually are dead, you can be made alive in Christ Jesus. And all you have to do is surrender to him, submit to Jesus and follow after him and you will be saved and you will receive this eternal life. 
And then we see in verse 10 that Paul tells us that we were made to do good works. He says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he has prepared for us beforehand. And in the second half of this letter, in chapters 4 through 6, Paul goes on to tell us what these good works are. And chapters 4 through 6 are not an exhaustive list of all the good works that God has prepared for us. They're just the ones that Paul chose to focus on. And we're going to look at three of those good works this morning. But before we do, there's two things that I want to point out. The first is, all of these good works are in Christ. As you've been reading Ephesians this week, you've noticed in Christ is one of the main themes of this letter. All of these works are in Christ. They come from salvation. Because we have been saved, because we know Jesus, we strive to do these good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. That's the way these work. It's not, I want to know Jesus, so I'm going to be a good person and try to earn my salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. These good works flow out of the salvation, out of the spiritual life that God gives us. And the second thing that I want to point out is that when we fail, there is grace. You see, it would be easy to look at these works that we're going to look at this morning and think to ourselves, I really don't measure up. And if that's your thought this morning, let me share with you that none of us measure up. We were all deserving of God's wrath, but God in his grace sent his son to die in our place. So all of these works are done in Christ. And when we fail, because we are not perfect and we are sinful creatures, there is grace. And there is mercy. So let's look at these three works this morning. Here they are for you. The three we're going to focus on with our time is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to have relationships that reflect the love of Christ, and to stand firm with other believers against the schemes of Satan. Like in Romans 12, Paul tells us that we must be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You must be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you will no longer live as those who do not follow Jesus. You see, as Christians, we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And when I use the term the world, I'm not talking about the physical earth that we stand on. But when I talk about the world, I'm talking about everyone who is not following Jesus. Everyone who has not put their faith in Jesus. We are still in the world, but we are not of the world. We are the called out ones who in Christ are called to live different. You see, we should live and act differently than the world that does not know Jesus. We should live and act differently than we lived before we knew Christ. And that's Paul's point here in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul then goes on in the rest of chapter 4 to describe how we must live as Christ's followers. You see, because we have a new identity in Christ, we should have new actions to mirror that new identity. We should have new habits to mirror this new identity that Christ has given us. We should have new speech and a new thought life that mirrors this new identity that we have in Christ. And what I love about this list is Paul doesn't just say, do this instead of that. Paul says, do this instead of that for this reason. So this is not just a list of things to write down and check off. Paul also shows us why we should do these things. The first one is to replace lying with truth-telling. Because we are one body. Because in Christ we are all one body of believers, we should speak the truth in love. We should not lie to one another, we should tell the truth in love. Because... We are all part of one body. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Next, Paul says, don't sin in your anger because that gives the devil a foothold. Do not sin in your anger because that gives the devil a foothold. When we sin in anger, it gives Satan an opportunity to lead us into more temptation, to lead us to sin even more. Notice, Paul doesn't say here, don't be angry. Angry is an emotion, anger is an emotion that God has given us, and it is right at times to be angry when we see evil in the world. When we see injustice happening in the world, it is right to be angry at those things. But Paul says to not sin in our anger so that we do not give our enemy a foothold. Starting in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Next, Paul says we should replace stealing with honest work so that you may give to those in need. Apparently, in the world at this time, stealing was an issue. It's probably still an issue in some ways today, maybe not as much in the church as it was back then, but apparently some believers, rather than working, were just stealing. And Paul says to stop, but to work honestly, so that you can give to those in need. You see, work is a gift from God, all the way back to the garden. We were created to work. It is a gift from God. And we don't work just so we can get stuff for ourselves, just to hoard things up for ourselves. We should work so that when we see a brother or a sister or someone else in need, we can meet those needs. Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal 
but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Next, Paul says that we should replace unwholesome talk with uplifting speech, so that you do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We live in a world and in a culture right now where this is pretty much flipped on top of itself. We are really, really good at tearing one another down so that we feel better about ourselves. It is really easy to point out the flaws in other people and to tear them down so that we feel better about the flaws in our own lives and in our own self. But Paul says... That we should only speak things that lift one another up. Our speech is to encourage the body, is to edify and encourage the saints and lift them up and spur them on in their faith. So he says we should replace this unwholesome talk with uplifting speech so that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit in verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only, such as, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And lastly, Paul says that we should replace bitterness, anger, and malice with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Because we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Because God has shown us his kindness. Because God has shown us compassion. Because God has given us forgiveness. We also should be people of kindness. People of compassion. People who offer forgiveness freely. Because our Father freely offers it to us. Over and over and over and over and over again. Because his grace and his mercies are new every day. And there is forgiveness for us every day in Christ Jesus. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See, as believers, we are called to live out our new identity in Christ. We are called to live out this new lifestyle that looks different from those who do not follow Jesus and looks different from the way we lived before we knew Jesus. And this includes in our relationships. We must have relationships that reflect the love of Christ. And in the second half of chapter 5, going into verse 6, Paul specifically mentions three types of relationships, but I want to pause to briefly focus on one, marriages. Believers' marriages should reflect Christ's relationship with the church. Your relationship with your husband or your wife should reflect Christ's relationship with the church. And that means what we see here in Ephesians 5 is that our wives reflect all of us as we submit to Jesus. Paul says that wives are to submit to their husband's leadership. And sadly, 
This passage and many like it have been taken out of context. They have been abused over the years to mean something that I don't think God ever meant for them to mean. You see, our wives are not slaves to command around to tell them to do just whatever we think they should do. In a Christian marriage, the wife reflects the way we all submit to Jesus. And I think part of the reason this has been taken so badly out of context and has been abused so badly for so many years is because we have watered down what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know about the context that you grew up in, but my entire life growing up, what I was told it meant to follow Jesus was ask Jesus into your heart and you will be saved. That's what I was told growing up. All, all you have to do is just, just ask Jesus in your heart. This is just some words. You just, you just pray some words and you're good. If I could demonstrate with my posture this morning what it means to follow Jesus, it means we come to Jesus and we submit to his leadership and we submit to his lordship and we say, Jesus, you are now the Lord of my life and I will follow where you lead. I will go where you send me. I will walk away from my old life to follow you, Lord Jesus. This is the picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Nowhere in the New Testament will you see Jesus say, just ask me into your heart. You will see Jesus call disciples away from their father as they were in the boat fishing and away from their livelihood and say, you come and follow me. You will say, you will see Jesus say, pick up your cross, die to yourself and daily come and follow me. And that's the picture of what it means to submit to the leadership of Jesus. And in our marriages, our wives reflect that submission that all of us, men included, should have towards Jesus. Now, since Paul talks more to husbands in this passage than he does wives, and so the wives don't drag me off stage... Men, let me talk to you for a minute. Husbands and future husbands, let me talk to you for a minute. If your wife reflects the way we all submit to Jesus in a marriage relationship, then men, we must reflect, we are called to reflect the way that Christ loves his bride, the church. What does that mean? What does it look like? You see, Christ was brutally beaten and suffered for his bride. He died on the cross for his bride, you and I, to pay the price for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him. In short, Jesus sacrificially loved his bride to the point of giving up his own life. So men, in a marriage relationship, as we are called to reflect Christ, it means that we sacrificially love our wives and lay down our lives for them. You see, this is a beautiful picture to a world that does not know Jesus. 
Our marriages are meant to be a beautiful picture of Christ's love for us to a world that does not know Christ. In a world where remaining married is very rare, our marriages should be a beautiful picture of Christ's love for each and every one of us. And here's what I believe, men, when we love our wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church, we make it easy for them to submit to our leadership. It's easy to submit to Jesus. Now, I know in our flesh, we have tough days where where we don't want to follow Christ and we rebel, but we know that God has our best intentions at heart. God is working for our good and he has given us life. And for that reason, we can submit to Jesus. Anytime that I preach or that I teach as I'm preparing, I always pray and ask the Lord to preach the message to my own heart before I stand before you guys, before the students, before anyone. I ask God to search my own heart and convict me of sin before I stand before God's people and open up his word. And Monday, I was studying Ephesians, I was praying, I got to Ephesians 5 and I was praying, Lord, convict me of sin, show me where I've fallen short. And as I'm, as I'm studying, the, the Holy Spirit says to me, Corey, when, when's the last time you did the dishes so your wife wouldn't have to? I hate doing dishes. But immediately, conviction. I was like, man, I got to do the dishes when I get home tonight. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, Corey, when's the last time you got home from work and instead of relaxing because you've had a long day and you've worked hard, you served your wife so that she could relax because she's worked just as hard as you, maybe even harder because she nannies for three young children. Conviction was all up in my office Monday morning. So I got home Monday. There were dishes in the sink. I started doing the dishes. Not only did I do the dishes, I cooked dinner Monday night. And now before you start praising Corey for cooking dinner Monday night, let me, let me tell you what dinner was Monday night. It was a frozen pizza. (laughs) So all I did was turn the oven on and when it got warm, I put the pizza in and then took it out and cut it. Men, we are called to sacrificially love our wives. Maybe for you, it's not doing the dishes. For me this week, it it was doing the dishes. But whatever it is, you are called to sacrificially love your wife as Christ loves the church and laid down his life for her. Starting in verse 22, it reads, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The last work that we are going to look at this morning is to stand firm with other believers against the schemes of the devil. Paul tells us here to stand firm by putting on the armor of God. We could preach a whole message on these eight verses that I'm going to read to you in just a minute. But I want to point two things out to you this morning about the armor of God. The first is we don't fight Satan. We are not the ones that go out and fight the enemy because we cannot defeat the enemy. He has already been defeated 2,000 years ago. Paul says that we are to put on the armor and we are to stand firm. We are to stand firm against temptation. We are to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy because he is not ours to defeat. Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace." In all, by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now one particular piece of armor here points to our need to be in community. And that piece of armor is the shield. And to demonstrate this to you, I'm going to need an army of my own this morning. So if my army will come on up here with me this morning. Now to understand how this points to Christian community, because in Ephesians 6, we don't see Paul use the word community. But to understand this, we need to understand the context of this shield and the way the Roman army would have used it. The shield that Paul is talking about here is a shield that was about four and a half feet tall and two and a half feet wide. And I want to show you how it was not used. So if our birthday girl will come on over here, Lydia, we're not going to sing to you right now, but if you guys want to find her afterwards and sing to her, feel free to. Lydia, if you will face me, you can stay right there. Take, take, take like one more step back. One more step back. Okay, now just face me. So Lydia, in your life, Lydia's freaking out right now. Lydia, in your life, Satan is going to attack you. Temptation is going to come. Tate, Satan is going to throw flaming darts at you. But here's the thing. And what's true for Lydia is true for all of us. 
Satan has an army of his own. Satan has minions of his own. And Satan is probably not going to come up to you, Lydia, and say, hey, Lydia, I hope your shield's ready. I'm about to attack you. More than likely, he's going to attack you from behind. (laughs) If you'll face everyone now, Lydia. You see, Scripture tells us that our enemy is like a prowling lion searching for someone to devour. And if you've never watched Nat Geo or Discovery Channel or whatever other channels you can watch lions hunt things and eat them, lions don't go after the strongest water buffalo. They look for the weak creature. And so Satan, Lydia, if you'll just stay facing everyone, Satan is like a prowling lion. And he's going to search for your weaknesses. And he's going to wait until you're not looking to attack you. He's not going to attack you from the front. But you see, this is not the way this shield was designed to be used. The way the Romans used this shield is what helped them take over the world. The first line, when there was arrows fired, would kneel down and hold their shield up vertically. And then the second line would come behind them and raise their shields up over the top of the front line. And so you see, Lydia is in the middle. As long as Lydia is in Christian community, and people are praying for her, and people are memorizing Scripture with her, and people are pointing her to the Lord, and people are holding her accountable, it's a lot harder for those flaming darts to reach her. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. You can just set the shields where you are. It's a lot harder when we're in community for Satan's temptations to lead us to stumble. Now, I'm not saying because you're in community that you're never going to fall prey to one of Satan's temptations. I'm not saying that Christian community will always keep you from sinning. But I am saying that Christian accountability and brothers and sisters that you memorize Scripture and study Scripture with, that pray for you and know what's going on in your life will help you resist the schemes of the devil. We were created to be in community, not to be alone. So I encourage you this morning, if you're not plugged into a community group, Come talk to me after the service so we can help get you plugged in. You see, you're called to live in such a way that the echo of your life leads people to Jesus. You're called to live in such a way that the echo of your life leads people to Jesus. And what Ephesians shows us is that we only do this in Christ by the grace of God. So how can we apply this book to ourselves this morning well the first way is if you've never put your faith in jesus put your faith in jesus be made alive in christ and once you have done that do the works of god live in community with other believers so that you can stand firm so that you can better stand firm against the temptations of the enemy and then finally The third way that we can apply this this morning is to pray on all occasions. 
You see, Paul ends this beautiful passage about the armor of God by telling us that we should pray at all times for the saints. In verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we don't just put the armor on and go into battle to stand firm. We put the armor on and we pray at all times with all perseverance, with all supplication for one another, for the saints. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.